I'm your host, Inman Narwin, and this is Strangers in a Tangled Wilderness, a monthly podcast of anarchic literature where we take our monthly zine, turn it into an audio feature, and interview the author. You can get a copy of the monthly zine by signing up for our Patreon, or you can read for free at tangledwilderness.org. This month, we have a short essay by Strangers Collective member Margaret Kiljoy called Anarchism and Its Misunderstanders. Stick around after for an interview with her about the essay. The word of the month is the unlikely meaning of a monster's name. And as always, our feature is read by the wonderful Bee Flowers. Anarchism and its Misunderstanders on Supply Chains and Buried History by Margaret Kiljoy Narrated by Bee Flowers I'm reading as Margaret, though. The I statements are Margaret, not Bee. This week, I've been researching Mexican labor history, preparing for an episode of my podcast that includes Ricardo Flores Magón, probably the most influential Mexican anarchist. Since his organization predated most of the rest of the revolutionaries of the Mexican Revolution, his name and legacy have been recuperated heavily by the Mexican government. His anarchism, of course, has been largely left out of the conversation, it can't be completely removed, though, no matter how they try. The Magonistas, a name he hated, were anarchists, and they weren't subtle about it. Thirty-five years before he first came onto the scene, something else of note happened. First, in 1865, anarchist textile workers in Mexico City at two factories went on strike. This gets referred to as Mexico's first strike, though we'll talk about that. They were brutally repressed, with soldiers firing into the crowd. Second, years later, in Tlalnepantla, a city quite nearby, now part of Mexico City metropolitan area, anarchist women from several factories went on strike and won, the first successful strike in Mexican history. Every time someone claims something is the first strike, or the longest trial in a country's history, or any other superlative like that, I'm skeptical. So usually I try to look it up. There was a silver miner strike in the red city of Real de Monte in 1766. I suppose that was technically New Spain, not Mexico. The Real de Monte strike gets called the first labor strike in North American history. Lots of things get called the first thing. But those textile workers were the birth of the modern Mexican labor movement, which predictably opened in a hail of gunfire from the government. It's also not shocking to me that it was organized by anarchists. Around the same time, indigenous folks, anarchists, and indigenous anarchists started a wave of agrarian revolt that terrorized the landed elite and redistributed land to dispossessed peasants. I read history books for a living, and my biases come through in the topics and books I pick, leaning towards anarchism, leaning towards direct action, leaning towards mutual aid, leaning towards anti-colonial struggle, leaning towards feminism. I try to be aware of those biases, but I'm still left with the overwhelming realization that anarchists were everywhere in the second half of the 19th century. And in most countries, anarchist socialism, that is, 
a socialist movement that advocates against the creation of a new state, but instead to organize society horizontally, was the predominant form of socialism, often even outnumbering the more reform-minded socialists, what we might call today democratic socialists. The revolutionary left was heavily anarchist or heavily anarchist-influenced until the turn of the century, or in many countries, until the Russian Civil War that the Bolsheviks emerged victorious from. I don't have it in me to call it the Bolshevik Revolution. It was a pluralistic revolution waged by multiple socialist tendencies that the Bolsheviks took over through the large-scale murder of their fellow revolutionaries. Yes, I'm a salty old anarchist bitch. Yes, that still feels like the most accurate way to describe what happened. Yet you'd never know that anarchists have been everywhere and had their hands in everything if you read any mainstream history. Whether that history is produced by a capitalist country or a state socialist country. Sure, some of our names live on. Ricardo Florge... Ricardo Flores Magón, for example, as a revolutionary leader. And Spain, Ukraine, and Korea in particular are unable to entirely bury our memory. But every piece of culture and history from the past 150 years or so that I've looked into is full of anarchists. My other work is in fiction, and early on I realized you've got Aldous Huxley, Ursula Le Guin, Oscar Wilde, Michael Moorcock, Franz Kafka, Henry Miller, Anthony Burgess, Joe Haldeman. Household names, depending on the household, None of them famous for the affiliations with anarchism. Anarchist refugees from Spain were among the fiercest partisans fighting in France, and it was anarchists in tanks with names like Duruti and Don Quixote who first rolled into Paris during the liberation from the Nazis in 1944. Our history is buried. Anarchism isn't the only buried history, of course. I have to put in an incredible amount of effort to figure out what the women were doing in any given social struggle, because we were always there and our names were never written down. Even that first successful strike in Mexico by anarchist textile workers, the women's names aren't recorded, but instead that of some man who was involved with organizing them. Luisa Quevedo was one of three anarchists who, in 1869, made their way to Chiapas in Mexico to give arms training to the peasants there, whose movement inspired the revolutionary leader Zapata and therefore the later Zapatistas, who inspire so many today. Yet she's mentioned in history as the wife of another anarchist. God forbid you want to find out how anyone in history related to queerness or sex work. Even among die-hard revolutionaries, for a long time, it was hard to get people to admit, yeah, that guy liked fucking other dudes, or this lady made her money the old-fashioned way. Even though the first magazine for gay men in the world, there we go with the first again, was published by a German anarchist named Adolf Brand. And since so many of us anarchists were queer, and likely so many of us were sex workers, the deepest buried of all histories, we're harder still to find. Magnus Hirschfeld, the pioneering social scientist who explored LGBT issues in Weimar Germany, who later had to flee the Nazis who burned his research, he wasn't an anarchist, 
But he had this to say about us. In the ranks of a relatively small party, the anarchist, it seemed to me, as if proportionally more homosexuals and effeminates are found than in others. He meant that as a compliment, and we'll take it as one. The burial of our history has more effects than I know how to count. One effect is how often we reinvent the wheel, learning the hard way over and over again which allies we can trust and which allies intend to murder us, learning the hard way over and over again the strengths and weaknesses of collective decision-making, learning the hard way over and over again what is involved in organizing revolutionary activity at scale. Another effect, the main one I want to talk about right now, is that people just don't know about us. They don't know what we're about. They hear the name anarchist and they will come to certain conclusions based on what they've been told or what they've personally considered about a society without government. If we're lucky, it'll be based on what they've seen of us, or rather what they've seen that they know was us. The tip of the anarchist iceberg is different in different times and places, but it's always just the tip. For a long time, the public knew us by our assassins, who brought heads of state to early graves. Other times, the public saw us just as rabble-rousers, looking to stir people up for the sake of it. More recently, we were known for the Black Bloc, for rioting at protests. Sometimes, we're known for our mutual aid projects. And among other protest organizations and the progressive left, we're sometimes known for our skill as organizers and facilitators and medics. Overall, though, we're known for riots, assassinations, bombs, destruction, which have been a part of our history, but only part of it. This ties neatly into one of the largest problems we run across. People don't realize that anarchism is an umbrella term for a group of coherent and specific political and social theories and practices. They just think it means the government is gone now, good luck. The most visible aspects of anarchism don't always inform anyone that we stand for anything else. One time, I gave a talk about anarchism and fiction in Portland, about 10 years after that city had seen a militant series of anti-war protests against the Second Iraq War. One person asks the question, basically, why do you anarchists always show up and fuck up our protests? I had a more concrete answer than usual that day because I'd been heavily involved in the organizing of the specific protests he was referring to. The answer to his question was, simply, that those protests had been organized by anarchists, or with heavy anarchist involvement, in the first place. Those who saw anarchists as outsiders to those protests clearly hadn't been involved in their organization. To be clear, most of the anarchist organizers weren't 20-year-olds wearing black masks, but most of us were in solidarity with the Black Bloc. Well, I was a 20-year-old in a black mask during the time I helped organize those protests, but I wasn't a central organizer by a long shot. The question I could have asked that man in response would be, why did you show up at a protest intended to disrupt society enough to stop a war and expect no one to do anything disruptive? But again, we're only known for the tip of the iceberg. The first anarchist I met was in my Boy Scout troop. 
At least I think he was an anarchist. He was this cool older punk guy, maybe 17 years old. He lived in his mom's basement, which is cool when you're 17, and he had black flag CDs and Guns N' Roses shirts. There was a pool table in that basement with a bed sheet over it that covered an inordinate amount of car stereos. These were presumably stolen. I had no idea that anarchism was a political ideology. I don't know if this 17-year-old did either. I had that, the government is gone, good luck, understanding of anarchism. I was 13, so that version of anarchism appealed to me. I asked him the big important question about anarchism. When you draw a circle A, do the lines break out of the circle or no? He gave me the correct answer. It doesn't matter. I didn't stay interested in anarchism throughout most of my teens because, as I saw it, I was too rational to gravitate towards extremes. I settled on a lackluster appreciation for social democracy and the Green Party, but it didn't set a fire under me. Nothing political did until, at 19, in 2002, I met anarchists. I met the black-clad protesters who were dead set on putting their bodies on the line to stop the neoliberal agenda that was stripping the developing world of resources and leaving bodies in its wake. The protesters had a coherent political ideology and a coherent political method. It appealed to me. I haven't looked back. I'm not here to convince the reader to become an anarchist, however. I'm here to say that, fundamentally, most discussions between anarchists and non-anarchists involve both parties talking about two different and unrelated ideas. Most, but not all, people critical of anarchism are not arguing against the political ideology that I, or millions before me, have espoused. They aren't arguing against a free association of cooperative autonomous groups who federate with one another in order to build an anti-racist, anti-patriarchal society based on mutual aid and mutual respect. They're arguing against no rules. Some of those arguments are in good faith. Others are not. Anarchism is an umbrella term for an assortment of specific and identifiable ideological positions. That is to say, anarchism is not a vague thing. It's a complex thing. It's an organic thing. And it's an ideology against ideology, but it is still a specific and identifiable thing. When I say, for example, anarchist capitalists are not anarchists, I mean to say that capitalism is entirely outside the bounds of what has been identified historically as anarchism as a coherent movement. Anarchism, as part of the larger umbrella of socialism, another misunderstood word, was specifically developed to oppose capitalism. Anti-capitalism is at least as central to anarchist theory and practice as anti-statism is. This isn't to say I advocate for tight definitions and bounds on anarchism. We fight for, as the Zapatistas would put it, who are not anarchists, but with whom we have engaged in mutual discussion, support, and respect for decades. A world in which many worlds are possible. Anarchism is a scary word for very kind people. We picked an aggressive name. It has always been a bit of a provocation. 
When that guy I don't like very much, Proudhon, declared himself an anarchist in 1840, it was a bit like saying, I am a terrorist. At least based on the connotations of the word anarchist at the time. But he also meant it directly and clearly, saying, As man seeks justice in equality, so society seeks order in anarchy. The reason I don't like him very much is that when he said man, he literally meant men and was excluding women. Other anarchists immediately and rightly took him to task about his misogyny. I can't really blame people for misunderstanding anarchism. Whenever people on both sides argue, no, anarchy means this, or no, anarchy means that, I just want to shout, did you know that words have more than one meaning depending on context and who is saying them? It's perfectly understandable for people to view anarchism as advocacy for anarchy, defined most commonly by society as an absence of government and order, or whatever. This is not a historically defensible definition of anarchism as a political position, but it's perfectly understandable for people to assume it must be, based on what they've learned growing up. Anarchists have tried to address this problem in numerous ways. One is rebranding. The other word for anarchist with the most widespread adoption is probably libertarian socialist. There's... There's an appeal to this. It's specific. We are socialists. That is, we believe that the means of production should be distributed fairly. We are also the opposite of authoritarian socialists, which makes us libertarian. The problem is, to half of the U.S., libertarian means capitalist, and to the other half, socialist means authoritarian. So it doesn't really compute. Early on, people used socialism and anarchism interchangeably because authoritarian socialism is, by and large, a later development. We started adding libertarian to set ourselves apart from those we disagreed with about authority. I'm not interested in rebranding, though. I just believe in outreach. Maybe I'm too caught up in how the word anarchism and how the black flag and the black and red flag set a fire under me when I was 19, a fire that hasn't gone out yet. But every political label is misunderstood and misappropriated and has been probably forever. In 19th century Europe, Republican meant anti-king and bordered on socialist and anarchist. In the 19th century United States, Republican meant anti-slavery and willing to start a war over the issue. These days, Republican means watches too much Fox News. I bristle at the sorts of questions like how would medication be manufactured and distributed in anarchism? These questions can be asked in good faith, and if they are, they deserve an answer. But usually the undertone of the question is, it would not be, and therefore by advocating for anarchism, you're advocating against life-saving medicine. Most of the askers wouldn't be able to describe to you how medication is manufactured and distributed in our current system, or how it was in Soviet Russia. It's not the kind of specialized knowledge that the average person has. The cheeky answer that occurs to me first is, of course, well, it doesn't work very well now either, does it? But the original question itself shows a misunderstanding of anarchism, which is, again, an understandable misunderstanding. 
Anarchism does not generally argue against the manufacture and distribution of medicine. It is not corporations that make medicine, not governments that develop international standards for safety. It is people who do both of those things. People embedded within organizational structures. Someone asked me recently what we would do about the power grid. It feels like such a good example that it actually becomes a sort of metaphor for anarchism. People tend to conceptualize the power grid as a centralized source of electricity sent out to where it needs to go. There is some truth to that. Then there's off-grid life, where power has to be generated and stored locally. When I lived off-grid, relying on solar, it became very clear just how inefficient that system is. Power is only generated when the sun is out, so I have to store it in batteries that are not only expensive to buy, but they're ecologically destructive to produce. Wouldn't it be better, then, to have a grid? That isn't necessarily centralization. Where I live now, I have solar again. This time, it's grid-tied solar. I produce electricity on my roof that goes into the grid for other people to use. When the sun isn't out, I draw from the grid. The grid can be, and to an extent already is, a distributed system rather than a centralized one. Of course, I also find it valuable to have backup systems for when the grid isn't available, and microgrids serving individual areas are a good redundancy or even main source of power, depending on the specific needs of a community. People think of government as the grid and anarchism as the off-grid cabin. This is the crux of the misunderstanding. Anarchists seek to distribute power in every sense of the word, not just to localize it. This isn't to say an off-grid cabin, again, the metaphorical one, is counter to anarchism, but it's not how most people would choose to live. Anarchism is presenting a mesh of overlapping distributed systems. Some of those systems, in order to share, require certain standards. I can't put DC electricity into the grid, for example. Not everywhere needs to be solar. Not everything needs to be wind-powered. Diverse systems can work together to shore up each other's weaknesses. Overall, we could probably do with an awful lot less reliance on electrical power, but most of us see the utility in keeping it around. Anarchism is capable of presenting answers to questions about supply chains and manufacturing, but those answers are also not quite what anarchism is. Anarchism is not a set of answers. It's a set of tools with which to find answers. The answer, how would anarchist society handle the following, is we will organize in such a way that those who are most capable of answering that question will be able to get together and answer it. I don't mean this as a vague platitude, I mean it concretely. When workers control a factory, for example, rather than the stockholders, efficiency is increased, pay is increased, working conditions improve, and hours are shorter. In an anarchist society, the people who know how to make and distribute medicine will be able to meet and discuss how to produce better medicine more efficiently, and there would not be the monetary barrier between a patient and her meds, nor the national barrier between a researcher and her peers. When we say, we don't know what an anarchist society would be like because we are not yet in one, 
we are not being vague or evasive. We are saying that societies ought to be constructed by the people in them. Anarchism is a set of tools and principles with which to construct societies that value freedom and cooperation. We actually do have examples of what those societies can look like, but where we are at now and where we will be in the future is not revolutionary Catalonia, Ukraine during the Russian Civil War, or Korean Manchuria. We should not expect to reach the same answers as they did, even if we apply similar problem-solving methods to our problems. We draw from history, not just from the history of self-styled anarchists like those examples above, but the lived experiences of people who are from cultures that are not traditionally state societies or capitalist. We draw from history to write our present and to prepare to collectively write our future. Um, hello, and thank you so much for coming on the show today. Um, would you like to introduce yourself with your name, pronouns, and um, what, you, what, do you, what do you do in the world? Yeah, uh, I'm Margaret Kiljoy. I use she and they pronouns. I, well, among other things, I'm one of the collective members of Strangers in Tangled Wilderness, but I'm mostly a writer, I guess. I also do music and podcasting, and I just try to create radical culture and like cultural content history fiction i also am obsessed with trying to convince people to be prepared for bad things um yeah i don't know if i said my pronouns she and they maybe i already cool. said them i'm not sure i think you did but Great. we now now twice. we doubly now yes yeah. twice yeah Cool. Well, we just listened to uh, B read your piece, Anarchism and Its Misunderstanders. And normally I would ask people kind of like what the like story behind their story is and or like why they wrote what they wrote. And <laughs> while I while I while I think that your your piece is like fairly like, you know, you're a very good writer and you know how to make pieces stand on their own. It, and you, you you talk about all of those things in, in your piece. But I was wondering if you would want to, even though we just listened to it kind of in more of your own words, uh, just mm -hmm. tell us what this piece is about. This piece, I mean, okay, where it comes from is that it's a response to, there was like discourse on the internet, which is never a place that good things start, is in discourse. The internet's, well, whatever. These days, nothing good starts on the internet, but that doesn't have to be the way it is. And about basically this idea that like, well, what will anarchists do about this and this and this? How will anarchists produce insulin? How will anarchists follow, set up the following supply chains or whatever in anarchist society? And what I was realizing is that the people having that conversation were talking to, you're, you're talking to a brick wall because you're, you're talking to people who have a completely different understanding of what you're talking about, you know, um, I can say fairly simply, well, I'm not too concerned about anarchists' uh, ability to maintain supply chains because we've done it before, we'll do it again, and it is a thing that involves all of society. But then other people will have this completely different idea of what anarchism is. And I'm kind of getting tired of that conversation. And I actually, one of the things, I don't think it's talked about much in this piece, one of the things that makes me really sad is that when people who identify as anarchists also 
have some of these basic misunderstandings, thinking that anarchism is like a lack of methods of solving problems. I, I, I'm going to call that organization, but you know, organization is another loaded word where there's a million ways of understanding organization. You know, I believe in fairly organic organizational models, and that's part of why I'm an anarchist, but I still believe that we should, oh, I don't know, get things done and feed ourselves. Like, it's like this question that's like, you know what it reminds me of? Is it what reminds me of people who are like, but without a restaurant, how do you feed yourself? You know, or like, <laughs> yeah, you know, like, well, you, you, you get the food and then you cook it and then you eat it. Like, I don't know. Do I need to tell you to clean up after yourself in the kitchen too? Like, well, without dishwashers, who's going to wash the dishes? I'm like, well, we're going to fucking wash the dishes. Like, like, what do you want? We're grownups. Like we're responsible for ourselves. Like that's the whole thing. I believe in a society where we're responsible for ourselves. So we have to take care of things. We have to figure out how to do things. And I get per- yeah. frustrated about that. But I also understand why people have that impression. And so that's what I try to do in this piece is offer a hand to the people who in good faith have these misunderstandings of anarchism and say like, well, it makes sense that you thought that. That's what you got told, you know? Yeah. It's it's funny because like a lot a lot of the kind of like questions that are that are in that are in this piece are uh, questions that when I'm talking to people who uh, aren't anarchists who are really critical of anarchism, um, like these questions these questions always come up, and yeah. uh, you know I'm I'm sure that's why they come up in your pieces because they come up in in your life, um, yeah. but. Um, like a lot of these questions come up when, like, especially when I'm like talking to, um, to my parents about like anarchism Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And there's this thing that comes up where they're like, they're like, okay, but who's going to drive the bus? And, you know, in anarchist circles, it's like, you know, who's going to wash the dishes? And it's like, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to wash our own dishes. And with the bus, it's like, we're going to drive the bus because we believe in public transportation and like making transportation accessible. Yeah. And it's like, I I feel like one of the things that like why people like ask these questions about these specific, you know, jobs, washing the dishes, driving the bus, taking out the trash is because like people, like people in larger society, like don't respect the people who do those jobs or like don't view them as valuable. Totally. And it's like those, you know, those are like the key, those are like key parts of our society. We, we, we really, we really uh, glamorize fame. We really glamorize like entrepreneurship. We glamorize all of these things that are like highly individualized. Yeah. And all of these things that like keep society running where like, those are, those are like expendable jobs. Those are jobs that no one wants to do. I don't know. It's, there's not really a question here as much as I wonder, like, I wonder why people hate those jobs so much and like why they think that no one will do them. I'm like, if. Yeah. Okay. Well, I have two thoughts. One, cool. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I run this history podcast called cool people did cool stuff. And the one that I just recorded yesterday may or may not be out by the time you're listening to this was about the dill pickle club in Chicago in the 1910s and twenties. And it was this um, countercultural it was part of the sort of bohemian culture. I hate that name, but that's the name that they use for themselves. Um, culture of the 1910s and 20s. And the, it was started by a group of people, but there was one guy who more or less run it, ran it. And his name was Jack Jones. 
and the he was like the on paper owner and he was like kind of the entrepreneurish kind of guy because he was the kind of guy who like builds a boat in his backyard to take out his honeymoon, which actually went really horribly for him. Um, but that's besides the point. Um, and like later he, he imagine the guy who, when his like social club is failing, he like comes up with a self walking duck toy and that's his like solution. <laughs> right. Um, but he also was like his left hand was mangled from an explosion accident where he like he spent 10 years in jail for arson. And we're not quite sure why. But we also know later he was arrested for trying to dynamite his bosses when he was a miner. So like <laughs> um, minor with an E, like a person who digs stuff out of the ground, although he might have been a miner with an E at the, with with an O at the same time, um, because a lot of miners are miners. But so there's this guy. He's really fucking cool. He's really interesting, at least. Right. And he um, and he ran this club. And by running the club, he had three jobs. He was the sign painter, he was the master of ceremonies, and he was the janitor. And the fact that he was the janitor rules and makes me yeah. like him so much more, right? Because it's like, well, at the end of the day, if this is like his baby, then he's the one who's going to change the diapers, you know? <laughs> um, and And I think that that's just been like, well, that's just what you got to get done like i think he just instinctively was like well i better do the shit work you know because i'm um if i'm kind of in charge then i better do the, the shit work and i really like that okay and the other thought that i had when you're talking about why people don't like these jobs and this one i'm kind of riffing on but other people probably know this more than me but there's this whole concept speaking of phrases i hate in in marxist feminism we'll call it reproductive labor right the idea yeah and it's it's women's work and that the reason I hate this phrasing is because it makes you think that the labor is the um, literal um, reproduction and the having of children, but it it's not reproductive labor it means like reproducing society. And it's so it's like it's other unpaid work. It actually includes having kids and shit, but it just annoys me because it's like, it doesn't express what you think it expresses. If you tell someone reproductive labor, it, they're like, Oh yeah, you mean like having babies. Um, but you actually, in this case, mean like doing the dishes and like doing keeping the home intact, right? Cooking, but not mm -hmm. at a restaurant, um, you know, or these are all these things that are reproductive labor. And so I wonder, and someone probably knows this better than me, I wonder if the reason that a lot of these other jobs are devalued is because of their proximity to, to women's work, you know, um, their proximity mm -hmm. to these things. And then, and then, of course, they're also just like not the shiny thing, right? Like, um. I remember years ago when I first started doing talks as an author, um, you know, and I had a lot of like thoughts about like, well, what does this mean? What does it mean to like go up on a stage and talk in front of people, you know, and like, like what makes me better or whatever? And the answer is like nothing, nothing makes me better. Right. Um, <laughs> I appreciate the work I do. I think it has value, but, but what gets lost is the work that, um, you know, my, my uh my boyfriend at the time was like well it's all fine and good i really appreciate you do this work but like no one ever talks about like the guy who makes pancakes for every band that comes through town is just as important part of the diy scene as the like you know people who play the guitar real fancy or whatever <laughs> you know um and and like pancake john just like never gets his never gets his due um, and it sucks. And so, yeah, I, I wonder why it's, I don't know. I think that's why people forget about this stuff and they imagine that they don't want to do it, but it's like, everyone does. Everyone takes the garbage out. Everyone cleans the toilet after, you know, like 
everyone does their own dishes and wipes their own butt. Like, not everyone, obviously, levels of ability and disability allow certain things. But overall, those will be exceptional folks who are incapable of taking out the trash, you know? Um, and so other people will take out the trash for them and we can all take care of each other collectively. Okay, that's what I got. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's 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 super helpful and insightful. To to kind of switch gears, um I thought I would ask you a question about something that I'm sure you don't know anything about, and that is history. Never heard of it. Yeah, yeah, never heard of it. And that is it's a strange question because I, I don't necessarily think it's like something that would be written about or I would be surprised to learn it would be written about and also really want to read those books. But um, in times when there were more anarchists, um, mm-hmm. because there, you know, there used to be more anarchists and yeah. then they all, they all got killed. Like in the time of like the, like the Bolsheviks or in the time of the Spanish Civil War, um, mm-hmm. like how how was anarchism perceived like how like how would the bolsheviks have like thought of anarchism at the time i know a little bit about this um i don't know everything about this but there is for anyone who's listening okay so like my understanding of socialism in the 19th century suggests that there were three poles think of it as a triangle as you if you will um there was anarchism, there was state socialism, and there was democratic socialism. So there's libertarian socialism, authoritarian socialism, and democratic socialism. These would be the three major forces, right? Uh, you know, <laughs> and the two revolutionary socialist groups are the anarchists and the state communists, you know, and the two people who believe in people taking care of each other are the democratic or the non-authoritarian ones are the democratic and the anarchistic ones, right? And so you can, whatever, I like triangles. Okay, so overall, for huge chunks of the 19th century around the world, not exclusively, but any given country, it was at least as likely as anything else that the dominant force of labor organizing was libertarian socialism or anarchism to the point where for huge chunks of the 19th century, if someone called themselves a socialist, they meant they were an anarchist. Uh, this is the case for the Haymarket Martyrs in Chicago, who give us, you know, May Day now. Um, this was the case in a lot of South American countries. Those are the two places I've like done a little bit more research about this. By the time that you get to like the Bolshevik Revolution, 1917 or whatever, this is when authoritarian socialism becomes ascendant. Uh, authoritarian socialism a little bit came out of left field. Well, actually, ironically, it came out. It's Left communism is the more libertarian communism, right? Which makes sense to me, you know, like we're clearly the actual <laughs> leftists. And things like Bolshevism came in stronger in authoritarian socialist tendency. And by basically staging a coup over the revolution in Russia, they ended up being able to like change leftism around the world. And so at that point, leftists around the world, a lot of anarchists became Bolsheviks because it was winning right mm. and so they were like fuck it sounds like the best thing we got going you know it'd be kind of like if like bernie would be the democratic socialist right but if like if bernie was like his campaign was like doing really well and everything's like going amazing and like aoc and shit are all, all kicking ass you're gonna see a lot of people like move over to that and then when anarchists are kicking ass you're gonna see a lot of people coming over to us you know um <laughs> 
And that's just the way it is. The way that, to answer your question, the way that Bolsheviks present anarchists, and uh, I don't know if it's how they perceived us, but it's how they talked about us, is bandits. Um, They talked about us as like antisocial criminals. A lot of the kind of like anarchists are unruly and unorganized and ruin everything, blah, blah, blah. A lot of that, that's like um, you got the meme of the two arms shaking hands or whatever. You know, that is like the USSR and the USA all all the way. They're like anarchists or just like bandits who are trying to like do all this bad shit. And ironically, some of the things that got called us bandits in the, the Russian Revolution is that we believed in having the revolution like now, right? So we would be like, mm-hmm. all right, well, all these rich fucks, like they got too much stuff. So we should uh, Robin Hood that shit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they did. And then a lot of the Bolsheviks were a little bit like, whoa, 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 those people have a lot of like power. We can't just like fuck, we want them on our side, you know? <laughs> um, and this kind of thing happened a lot over and over again. And, and it's funny because they would do the same kind of shit talk, even in places where anarchists were like clearly running things and everything was like kind of working, whether it was revolutionary <laughs> Ukraine or revolutionary Catalonia and Eastern, um, Eastern Spain in the ni- like mid-1930s during the, the Spanish Civil War when huge chunks of Spain were you know collectivized. I believe that they would still kind of do the same thing. Like you're too disorganized, right? And so a lot of the like literal murder of anarchists was around like, well, you're not fitting into these like, you're not a cog in the machine and we need a machine to defeat fascism. So we're going to just like go and murder you now. And they like... And it wasn't actually just the anarchists. It was any leftist who didn't play ball with them. A lot of Marxists got the same treatment. Um, uh, Trotskyists and non-Trotskyist Marxists got the same treatment. So, yeah, it's the same shit. It's the like, oh, anarchists are just chaos mongers who do chaos. Yeah, yeah. And that is like that. that is one of, I feel like the fundamental misunderstandings of anarchism is this idea that it is chaos. Yeah. And which is funny. I'm like, have you ever been to like an anarchist run mutual aid project? That shit is highly organized. I know. Like who's going to wash the dishes. You'd be like, well, it's going to be Joe. He always volunteers. We try to get someone else to do it, but Joe's just going to stand there and wash dishes for three hours. Cause he doesn't like socializing, but he wants to be part of the group. Like there's never yeah. a problem. Like, you know, or like, what are we going to accomplish? Well, we're going to have a big meeting in the morning and everyone's going to sit down and hundreds of people are going to get all of the things that need to get done, figured out and volunteer to who's going to do them. Like it yeah. shit works. Yeah. There's like, I feel, <laughs> um, no, I'm not going to say that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> like when you're trying to do an arson, like the following arson that I committed, um, uh-huh. <laughs> no, 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 that's 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 not what I was not yeah, going no, to say. But um, yeah, no, I feel like the you know a lot of the anarchists I know are like they're like hyper task driven or like have extreme social anxiety and are just like looking for the helpful thing that they can do yeah. in the background. <laughs> totally, um, totally. <laughs> or like too many cooks, eat, like, not enough people eating. <laughs> Yeah. But everyone wants to prep cook, you know? Everyone wants the shit work. Yeah, no one wants to. Yeah. Oh, just like 
like we we have a we have a funny problem at the like the anarchistic community center that i that i help uh mm-hmm. do stuff with and that is that we have this like tuesday night dinner and like nobody wants to lead dinner like no yeah. one wants to like come up with the dinner idea but like you can absolutely like find a squadron of people that are like i want to chop stuff tell me yeah. what to do well see and this actually gets to like one of the things that i think the most legitimate the people who know anarchism and have no interest in it one of the reasons is that people will be like well that's hard to have be responsible all the time you know mm-hmm. and like and i actually think that once you're in anarchism you learn that responsibility is a hot potato that we all like take turns with right like a leadership role is actually a service role it is a you know subservient role and when you think of it that way yeah it's like like i'm grateful to the people who want to facilitate i'm grateful for the people who want to come up with and push ideas you know um as long as we maintain agency over ourselves and continue to be able to say like yes that works for me no that doesn't work for me yeah yeah to to kind of switch switch gears a little bit again um Mm -hmm. there so you know obviously we 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 have a lot like anecdote and historical evidence of what happens when anarchism is misunderstood and you know what that ends up yeah being as we get murdered whether that's mm-hmm. by bolsheviks whether that's by other authoritarian communists whether yeah. that's or whether that's by like the like the like the police in the united states with like with like you know like big labor movements in like the 1800s and stuff and yeah i'm wondering what your take is on kind of like modern like contemporary like right now like anarchism like what is like what are the dangers of anarchism being misunderstood now i think that you know i talked a little bit about in this piece about how like a lot of people's exposure to anarchists is the black block um Mm -hmm. and the black block is an anarchistic tactic uh large numbers of anarchists participate in this tactic i believe it was developed by anarchists i haven't I've got like a plan where I'm going to do an episode about the eighties, uh, German squatters. Um, but I like, couldn't tell you off the top of my head. I can't promise you as all anarchists or whatever, you know, but like, whatever, it's an anarchist tactic. It's a well-known one. Um, and it's the tip of the iceberg, you know? Um, and so people our destructive forces are almost always more visible than our, our creative forces. And, and that's not a destruction isn't bad. I think that all the coolest anarchist stuff does things like, you know, um, the passion for destruction is a creative passion as well, or life is a passionate intercourse between creation and destruction. Like, like these are the kinds of forces that are really um, enjoyable and beautiful to balance, right? But yeah, we tend to get misunderstood as just the destructive side of things. And so people tend to think of it as like useful teenage rebellion, but nothing beyond that. And, but actually, ironically, it is the fact that we are willing to do hard and dangerous work and shit work and unglamorous work. Like you're never going to get clout by putting on all black where you're anonymous and and, uh, attacking the cops, unless you get caught, in which case clout isn't going to save you and you have worse problems, right? And you like deserve any clout you get. Um, you can't use that to like 
become a grifter and set up a like, you know, give me money so that I can keep anonymously breaking things, right? That just doesn't work. Um, we're yeah. always willing to do the shit work and we are often used as useful idiots. Um, I think that authoritarian communists in particular, like large authoritarian groups that mask themselves as liberal groups, like during the anti-war era of 20 years ago, you know, you would see this where you have like the answer coalition and stuff, right? You have these like essentially uh, authoritarian communist groups that like masquerade as liberal groups and bring on a lot of liberals and stuff um, as like a way to like fundraise and shit. And I think that they make use of the black block and they make use of our tendency towards solidarity, our tendency for, we don't want hegemonic control of the movement. Like by and large, anarchists are not trying to make the leftist movement be anarchist. Right. And so we often work in coalition and we're really good at working in coalition, but certain people who will be within those coalitions are just trying to use us and other people aren't. And I think that overall, my way of envisioning this is I, I believe in like lower leftist solidarity. If you, if you, I hate that that's only two axes and isn't a triangle, but you know, the traditional <laughs> political map where you have like the left is, you know, socialism and the right is capitalism and the top is authoritarianism and the bo bottom is libertarianism, right? Anarchism mm -hmm. is like in the lower left quadrant. And so are a lot of other ideological positions that come from a lot of different cultural backgrounds. Uh, you have anti-authoritarian, uh, you have like uh, anti-state Marxists and you have a lot of indigenous groups. You have Zapatistas, you have democratic confederalism like they practice in Rojava. Uh, you have all of these groups that are committed to not being the state and also being anti-capitalist. And within that quadrant, coalitions rule. We can do them all day long. And I think that anarchists do really well. It's like one of the reasons I would say anarchists in North America do a, probably our strongest alliances right now, I would say we're with indigenous groups fighting against like fossil fuel extraction and things like that, right? And I think that's because those are folks who are not coming from a like Western authoritarian position, right? I know I'm kind of tangenting off your question. I think that our biggest danger is, is when we like let ourselves be useful idiots. Um, and I also think that like sometimes a lot of types of people don't realize that they can be anarchists because they're not specifically attracted to the more destructive stuff. And some people are turned off by it. A lot of people aren't. A lot of people are like, oh, if you break windows, people are going to like leave your movement. And like, nah, sometimes people are like, yeah, fuck that bank. You know, <laughs> like that thing that immiserates us all, fuck it up. I don't care. But it's like, it's hard to know. And like, you know, I would say that we spend more of our time running mutual aid projects than we do in Black Block. And it's usually the same people who do both, but it's not always. There's some people who are like, man, I fucking hate the Black Block, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think th this is a this is like a strange thing to me that I run into sometimes in like different like uh you know citywide social scenes or like whatever mm -hmm. um is like hearing this sentiment that people are like oh I don't I don't want to go to that space or like I don't want to like do things with those people because they're 
because they're anarchists and there's mm-hmm. and this is like from like other kind of like i would say like radical leftists and yeah. it's it's this thing that i see happening more and more that i get really confused and worried by and i wonder if this kind of goes in hand with kind of like the the like useful idiots is like i feel like anarchists for the most part i think there are obvious exceptions um mm-hmm. but we're generally willing to like think about the things that we've done critically you know yeah where i'm like i'm like oh those people think we're the like those people think that we're too like caught up in anarchism or we're too like um, too ideological or something too ideological yeah or something like that um and then i'm like oh yeah no we have to like that person didn't like that. So we have to not do that anymore. And it's, it's almost this willingness to like reflect and critique ourselves that then kind of like hampers ourselves sometimes where I'm like, Oh yeah, no. Okay. Those people didn't like us. So we have to never do anything again. Cause we don't want to offend people. Yeah. Like we're the bad ones or whatever. <laughs> if someone doesn't like us. Yeah. 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 No, that's true. I think that, people sometimes can be kind of um, self-negating and like I think you know there's a lot of arguments that people have about like when it is and isn't useful to use the name anarchist or like to use political Mm -hmm. labels and I think labels are great as long as we understand them as like temporary methods of sorting things you know Uh, like if I'm like rearranging my cd collection i don't have a cd collection uh downloaded movies that i legally downloaded you know Mm -hmm. like do i sort them by name or do i sort them by genre or do i sort them by director or like you know there's like all of these different things like there's actually a um an anarchist musician named unwoman who uh talked to me once about being like oh no 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 think of them as tags not categories like because when you like you know, when you sort things on the internet, you can use tags or you can use categories and categories are like immutable or they're like, you know, you only get one, right? You know, and tags are so much more interesting because it's like, oh, well, you're this and you're this and you're this and you're this, you know, and they're less limiting, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm really interested in being not defined by my anarchism, but described as an anarchist because I think that is the most useful description of my politics. If my politics shifted, and anarchism was no longer the most useful description, I'd use something different. I don't think to myself, what does what do I do as an anarchist in this situation? I think to myself, what do I do in this situation? You know? Mm-hmm. And when I was younger and like newer to it, it was actually very useful to say, well, what does an anarchist do in this situation? Because it's a pretty good starting point, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But so I think that people get so hung up on labels that they don't, notice what's actually there, you know? Um, but I don't think that this is labels fault. I think this is people's fault. I think people just need to learn to not get hung up on it. Like if someone's like, well, I don't like anarchists. I'm like, all right, well, fuck you. Like, (laughs) what do you want? Like I've spent 20 years of this shit. Like now if someone is like, I'm nervous to work with anarchists because I've had the following experiences or whatever. I'm like, Oh, I'll, I'll hear you out. And they're like, yeah, cause some anarchists are shitty. And I'm like, absolutely. Man, I hate more yeah. anarchists than I hate most of anything else because I mostly know anarchists, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And But it is hard because also if people are like, 
light hate anarchists because all you do is black block or th- throw bombs in late 1900s or whatever <laughs> or early late 1800s um they're like all right well you've been misinformed you know and and all we can do is say well you've been misinformed um yeah yeah okay i have have one i think i have one more question before we kind of start to okay wrap things up but um it's funny because I feel like in other aspects of like strangers work, we explore this idea, which is that, you know, defining something as anarchism doesn't matter, but also that it kind of matters. Yeah. It's both. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm wondering, I'm wondering your, your thoughts, your thoughts on this. It's like, why, like, like, you know, obviously labels, categories, et cetera, Mm -hmm. but like, um, like, why is it both important to, for us to like, not care about this, but also why is it important for us to care about it? It, when I was younger, learning the word anarchism was like someone put corrective lenses on my face for the first time. Mm-hmm. I could see all the same objects, but suddenly I understood what I was looking at, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that ideology or ontological methods or something are really useful. They're incredibly useful tools. It's also a decent way to start finding affinity with people, right? Like overall, I feel more affinity with anarchists about most things than most other categories of people, not all. Uh, But anyone whose position puts them in the lower left quadrant, you know, and I, if I can identify that, it's really useful to me. Like when I think of ideological positions that claim to not be ideological and like don't use the word for themselves, you're talking about liars. And I have really bad feelings about people who lie to their friends and to people who are not in the process of controlling them. Um, <laughs> I want people to have the best available information to make decisions. And part of the reason that I like am really upfront about my anarchism is I want people to know my biases so that they can find the holes in my arguments. Like I am way more likely when I talk about methods, uh, solutions to climate change to talk about community-based solutions and not state level solutions. Like that is just, And I want people to know why I'm coming in with that bias because the lens that I have in front of my face is an anarchist lens. Um, I find that lens useful. And I think being identifiable is useful. I think that you also can't build a movement on vagueness. You know, if if you're trying to have like a, a, a musical culture and you're like, oh, we just like music that like we vibe with. And you're like, well, what does that mean? And then someone comes in and they've got Psytrance and the person's like, oh, it's just not my vibe. And then you come in with like, uh, I don't know, like House and they're like, oh, it's just not my vibe. And you're like, oh, you just like Gabber. Just fucking, just say you like Gabber. I don't know why I'm picking on Gabber here. Um, but like, you know, just just actually be what you're about. And we can learn to trust that we can build coalitions of diverse groups of people without erasing the differences between us. 
Um, and without having like one position be necessarily better than the other. I mean, I really like anarchism, but I actually would say that the main thing I like is that anarchism is a expansive anti-ideology and it allows for, you know, the larger anarchic framework that has been growing up over the past uh, 50 years or so, you know, where anarchism as a Western ideology comes out of a very specific place but it finds common cause with other anarchic tendencies that come from all kinds of other backgrounds and we can all work together. And I just fucking love that about it. Um, <laughs> that said, you know, when it's not useful, it's just a tool. Like, um, I don't lead every conversation I have with someone at the farmer's market with, well, as an anarchist, I would like to buy three tomatoes. <laughs> You know, uh -huh. um, although sometimes I'm wearing a shirt that might as well say that, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> look and for then, like, a new shirt. I am an anarchist and I would like to buy three tomatoes. Yeah, totally. Okay. And I'll, I'll, I'll give one more story about one, one time I was really happy that I identified as an anarchist. I, I don't know how often I've told the story or where maybe people have all heard it, or maybe it's even in the essay. I don't think it is. I was on this like small island in British Columbia at this farmer's market and I was busking with an accordion with some punk friends of mine, including some people who lived on the island. And there was this like older man who was just fucking mean mugging us, was just glaring at us. And his table was all one book. It was just like a bunch of copies of one book. And he's just staring at us all mean and shit. And so I go over and I'm like, oh, what's going on? What's this book? And he's like, what do you know about World War II? And I'm like, oh, buddy. Like, and I didn't know nearly as much about World War II as I do now, but I was like, let's talk about the Finnish involvement in World War II. Isn't that kind of messy? They were on the Axis side and like, but then they like did this other shit. And then, you know, and, uh, and he's like, and so he's talking to me for a while. And then he's like, you and your friends, you're not Bolsheviks, are you? And I'm like, what? I'm like, no, no, we're anarchists. And he goes, anarchists and he picks up the book and he flips to a page and this book is his father's memoir his father was one of the the polish officers who uh when the ussr and germany were allies in world war ii that people don't like talking about uh, at the beginning of the war um they started the war together on the same side um they mm -hmm. invaded poland together right and and split the country in half. They'd previously decided how to split it up in the Warsaw Molotov, uh, the, sorry, the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact. And the Polish army that would have resisted the Nazis was liquidated by the by Stalin um, in the, uh, oh, I don't know how to pronounce the name of the forest, the Katyn Forest Massacre. And if you ask a, a Bolshevik, they're like, oh, well, they were all nationalists, so they all deserve to die or whatever the mm. fuck, right? Um I don't know whether this guy's politics were, but I know they were anti-Nazi, right? And so mm -hmm. this man's father was the only, one of the only survivors of this massacre. And he was sent to Siberia uh, by the Stalinists. And while he was in a, you know, basically a death camp in Siberia, his life was saved by an anarchist, by a Christian anarchist who hid him, kept him from freezing to death by putting him in the morgue among the dead bodies because it was so cold in Siberia that the cold storage for bodies was warmer than the outside air. Um, <laughs> Why did they have a cold storage for yeah, bodies I then? <laughs> I don't know. In the summer, I'm not sure. Uh, but it was like, it, it was insulating. If you go crawl among dead bodies, you will be insulated. It's like, it's like the 
you know, building a, a snow shelter, only horrible. And Stalinist yeah. murder land. And so the guy really liked us now, right? Because anarchists had saved his father's life. And I am proud to be in the same lineage as this Russian man who had who gets described as a follower of Kropotkin and a follower of Tolstoy, who just lived his life trying to save people's lives in one of the worst environments that humans have ever been put into, which are the Siberian death camps that Stalin put people into. And now thousands of miles away, although ironically kind of actually close, right? Because like Siberia and Western, you know, Western Canada. Um, yeah. We're, we're friends at the farmer's market, you know? Yeah. And like, I am proud of the shit that has been done in anarchism's, anarchism's name. And like all of the slander of it, I aim to clear most of it up. Some of the slander we deserved and fuck those people. But like, <laughs> that's just the tiniest percentage. We, we come from a long lineage of incredibly brave people. And I'm a little bit of a like, I'm kind of in some ways the wrong person to ask this question because I'm like, oh, like labels are restrictive or whatever. I'm kind of a, you know, like a black flag patriot. Like I'm like... I, I, I feel a, a similar stirring in my heart as I do when I read about the Easter Rising that my family was in, fighting against British colonization, you know? And they weren't anarchists. And so that's actually part of the complication of it, is that, like, I think Irish Republicanism is cool as shit, too. And it's, like, in my, you know, in my family. But, like, I, like, both of these things I feel like my lineage. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that all makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you know, same. I'm, uh, I, I think I just get defensive, like sometimes about it, where yeah. I'm both like, yeah, like it, like you know, it doesn't matter to me if someone is an anarchist, whether I can like find right. affinity with them or totally. like or like build coalition or like work together or like love or like any of those things, you know. Yeah. But at the same time, I do not want my like that, that legacy and like that. Oh, God, I hate saying the word legacy that whatever tradition. Uh, yeah. well, I hate all these words. Yeah. I, like I like I don't want that to be lost. And I hate that people uh, I hate that people hate it. And I'm like, I don't yeah. know. There's a lot of like anti-anarchist rhetoric going on right now, especially from the far right. Like the far right is like making a point out of like making anarchists look like fools or making yeah. like anti-authoritarian leftists you know, radicals of all kinds look like fools or yeah they they call it like the the anti-woke thing which i have like a lot of strange feelings about that i won't go into um, yeah totally it's but, a different conversation yeah yeah different conversation but they compare like anarchism especially to this like to being this like fascistic politic and yeah um i'm like no no the the differences between like us and these people like the far right saying this is i just want people to be able to live and yeah. not get killed and like yeah. live their lives in like you know humanizing ways without strife and you want to kill all of the queer people and yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, totally. 
Yeah. <laughs> There's a big difference. Anyways, um, with that, I, yeah. Do you have any, any last words, things that I should have asked you that I didn't ask you? Ha ha, I'm asking you your question. I know. Uh, I don't think so. I think, uh, you know, we covered a lot of the stuff that's at the heart of that particular essay. And uh, yeah. Um, where I'm going to do plugs now before mm-hmm. the word of the month. Uh, where can people find you that you would like to be found? Yeah. Uh, so I actually wrote the this essay first for my Substack, which is a weekly newsletter that I make where we where I, I every Wednesday post a new essay. Half of the time it's a like widely available like public essay thing like this one, you know. And then the other half mm-hmm. of the time, it's a little bit more personal and that's for, for paid subscribers. And it, you know, that's my way of like not hiding the important stuff behind the paywall. It's like, well, if you want to know about like me, that's not my political project. So you can, you can subscribe. Um, <laughs> but you know, but people can find me on Substack, just Google Margaret Kiljoy Substack. Uh, and I'm on Instagram at Margaret Kiljoy uh, I'm on a couple other social media program platforms, but not very actively. I kind of hate social media. I'm trying to move away from it. I have a bunch of podcasts. Cool people do cool, cool stuff. Comes out every Monday and Wednesday. If you want me hear me talk about all the history research that leads to all the positions that I currently have, um, I run another podcast called Live Like the World Is Dying with my friend Inman, and uh, as well as my friend Brooke. But it's funnier when I say Inman because you're Inman. Um, <laughs> That comes out every Friday. It's not always me, but it's always somebody. And that's it. Cool. Cool. Um, well, I always try to come up with like a, you know, a fitting word for the word of the month, you know, something that has to do with something in, in the piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the origins of, of the word anarchy, anarchism or anarchy are like not they're not interesting it, it, it just yeah, means it, some yeah. greek shit <laughs> yeah, yeah some greek shit with without literally without a king um and so i have i have some other words for you today um okay. but i feel like it's a similar vibe a misunderstanding of something that people view negatively and that is are you familiar with gorgons yeah, Medusa was a Gorgon, right? Yeah. Yeah, Medusa was a Gorgon. Yeah. There any any guesses to what the word Gorgon might mean? Snake hair lady who turns people into stone? No, I I don't know. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. No, yeah. That's the um yeah, you know, Medusa was a snake hair lady who turned people into stone. Um I am gonna do a highly abridged version of this because I don't have time. Um but I heard this really fun retelling of the story of Medusa, which um, uh, offered this different perspective, which was, you know, the normal story is is uh, a priestess was, man did a really bad thing to her in a temple. She was a priestess and mm-hmm. um, like she got punished for her yeah, being ab- assaulted. absolute, yeah, being assaulted. Yeah, she got punished for being assaulted in the temple and Classic. all the blame was put on her. Yeah. And so she got turned into this monster as a result of part of that punishment. And I heard this retelling, which the more retellings that I hear of Greek mythology, the more I'm like, 
yeah, the versions that we have of all these stories are like highly, highly like adulterate or adulterated, changed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. To like what the ruling status quo wanted told. Yeah. And that a lot of the original stories are very different. Um, okay. But so in this retelling, it is, you know, this priestess gets assaulted and Zeus, the person who does every bad thing ever, is de- like demands punishment. And the goddess who I can't even remember which goddess it was, it doesn't really matter, um, is like, priestess, I'm really sorry, but I gotta, like, I can't win this one. So mm-hmm. your choices are, I can punish you, I can, you, you could die, or I can give you the power to never fear men again. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. And so she was like, I want the power to destroy all men that try to harm me. Yeah. And yeah. And so she chooses that. And so Gorgon, um, which at some point started to mean in the 14th century, a petrifying look or a female monster uh, originally comes from the word Gorgo, uh, which can mean the grim ones. Um, but yeah. Gorgos, which also means to look or gaze. Wow, or does it come from f- the same thing as gorgeous? Um, I let's just say yes. No, yes, let's just say yes. Um, it also has derivatives from uh the an old Irish word for garg, which means like raw or wild. Um. Okay. Yeah, it's, yeah. And then even, like, Medusa, um, the name comes from, it just literally means, it's like the like the female uh, present participle of uh, guardian. Wow. Or to protect and rule over um, wow. from the words med, which uh, is to take appropriate measures. And I feel like the origins of these words, yeah, like mediate with a look of stone. And I don't know. It's like finding these words in history that are like you, like uh, that lines more up with this like other narrative of the story than the original narrative. Yeah. So it's the garden of the canceled in her yard. (laughs) The garden, what? (laughs) The garden of the canceled. You know, all the the statues. all the statues oh, yes. in the yard. <laughs> yes, 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 totally. Cancel totally. culture gone amok. Yep. Fuck yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. That's a good word for the uh, for the month. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like they always come together. Um cool. Well, with that, I will say farewell. And by farewell, I mean see you next time. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, defend anarchy and stare at its enemies grimly. Or just tell someone about the show. Scrawl its name on a wall and hope your message isn't misconstrued. Also, you can rate and review and like and subscribe or whatever the algorithm calls for. Feed it like a hungry god. But really, just tell people about it. It's the main way that people hear about the show and honestly, one of the better ways to support it. 
However, if you want to support us in other sillier ways that don't involve feeding a nameless and mysterious entity, consider supporting the show financially by subscribing to our Patreon. If you subscribe to our Patreon at $10 a month, we will mail to you a zine version of the pieces that you hear here every month, anywhere in the world. You can also get access to an archive of Old Strangers content, as well as discounts on things like t-shirts and books we publish. Find us at patreon.com slash strangers in a tangled wilderness. Our theme music is by Margaret Kiljoy, our zine layout is by Cassandra, and thanks to the lovely mountain goblins that mail out the feature every month. That's all my plugs, except for a very special series of shoutouts to these wonderful people who have helped make this podcast as well as so many other projects possible. Thank you, Eric, Percival, Buck, Jacob, Catgut, Marm, Carson, Lord Harkin, Trickster, Princess Miranda, Ben Ben, Anonymous, Thunder, Janice and Odell, Allie, Paparuna, Milica, Boise Mutual Aid, Theo, Hunter, SJ, Paige, Nicole, David, Dana, Chelsea, Starro, Jennifer, Kirk, Chris, Micaiah, and Haas, the dog. Thanks so much for your support. It means so much to us and has allowed us to get so much done as a collective. And lastly, these features on the podcast come from listeners like, like you. So if you feel like a stranger that would like to find their story a home in this tangled wilderness, consider submitting it. It won't be misunderstood. Next month, we have a funny off month where I'll have someone on and teach them or tell them about something that I think is really cool and I think that you will, too. Can you guess what it is? Stay well. We hope you come back. <laughs>